Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. There's a difference between mental strength and mental health, because a lot of people come to me and say, I wish I could be mentally strong, but I have depression. But having a mental health problem doesn't mean that you aren't mentally strong enough. As a therapist, I can say the strongest people I've met were often battling those things, but it was all about the choices they kept making every day, despite those struggles that they had. It's Violet Benson, your favorite meme queen and the big sis you didn't ask for, but need. Welcome to Almost Adulting. Almost Adulting. Almost Adulting. Are you ready? Hi guys, and welcome to another beautiful episode of Almost Adulting with me, your host, your best friend, your big sister, Violet Benson. So today's episode is with Amy, and it's all about positive habits versus bad habits and how we have to change our perception, how bad habits can trickle down to make things even worse, how good habits can change your life, and so on. I actually found her because I've been a fan of her TED Talks. And this uh, whole month has been going pretty great. Uh, September is all about, you know, checking in with yourself and your mental health and just where we are at in our lives. So that's so far what's been going on with all my Tuesday and Thursday episodes. But I'm not going to lie. I'm so excited to finish this month and to get started with October because October, it's about da, 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 cult month. Yeah, you heard me because I'm sick and tired. <laughs> talking about dating and relationships and mental health so i said you know what october we're just gonna make it real different and we're diving into cults why because when i dive into mental health and dating and relationships a little too much i become like a walking textbook to dating and relationships and then i completely sabotage myself and i kid you not i'm sick and tired of every time now, I'm going through another quick little breakup where I'm dating a guy and then I break up with him. And then now it's been the third time in a row where the these guys give me this speech about how they wonder if my podcast and what I do for a living is affecting my dating life and is sabotaging me and I'm going to end up alone because <laughs> it's not funny. But now the third guy in a row has sat me down after I dumped them telling me that they're worried about me that I'm sabotaging myself by overthinking everything because I'm like a walking dating textbook and how it's affecting me and my dating and I'm not giving people a chance. And then when I apologize, then they just don't speak to me again. So you know what? I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm getting real lonely. (laughs) It's not funny. I've been thinking about it the last couple of days and I'm like, damn, I'm lonely. Like I wouldn't mind having someone just come over and go down on me. You know, as someone who doesn't do casual sex and casual dating, I'm more into, you know, being exclusive with someone when I have sex with them. I am totally open to people going down on me, though. For that, we don't need to be exclusive. Like if you need to do that for your mental health, if you need to do that to heal, I'm all for it because I'm all about people healing. So if that's what you got to do 
to make yourself feel good by going down on me, like, let's do it. And that's what's you know been happening this year. I haven't been sleeping with anyone, but I have allowed men to go down on me. Really, really big fan. And the cool thing about that is that I've noticed that the more I think about guys loving to go down on me, that's who I end up attracting. Every guy I've dated is like obsessed with going down on me. So I really do think it's whatever you think about is that you attract. And a quick little advice that I can give you guys that I've also am going to mention in my next week's Tuesday episode is that next time you start dating someone, it's very important how you speak about your exes. Instead of telling pe- the new people you date like, oh yeah, my ex was a piece of shit and they treated me like shit. Stop doing that. Because when you do that, you're literally setting the bar of how that person can treat you. Because then when they find out that the last person that dated you didn't value you and they treated you like shit or it was always Netflix and chill, you're telling them like, oh, cool, that's as much as effort as I can put in and she'll still be with me. So even if all your exes treated you like shit, who cares? Keep that to yourself, especially in the beginning. So next person you start dating, just tell them, yeah, my ex loved eating me out. My ex love taking me to dinners blah blah yeah it didn't work out because we weren't compatible you want to say he's a sociopath whatever it is narcissist whatever the the terms people love to coin these days it doesn't matter but when it comes to how they treated you they treated you amazing because that sets the bar of where the new person is supposed to treat you so that tells them okay so this person still valued them and she still left them okay so that means i have to put in extra effort for them to for this person to really like me and that's what they're going to do So if you want someone to take you out to dinners, tell them your ex used to do that. If you want someone to go down you all the time, tell them your ex used to do that. Because I swear to God, like, I feel like I've been putting out some energy where just like every guy I meet is like, I just want to go down on you. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's what you need to do to heal. But anyway, I've been really lonely lately. I'm just ready to have someone to love. You know, I'm I'm tired of being so emotionally unavailable. I don't like it anymore. I don't like pushing everyone away and then end up alone and I expect all these people to chase me and they don't because, you know, they're human beings and they have feelings and they don't appreciate it. And then I'm just on my own. So I'm just being fully honest. I've been feeling kind of lonely lately, you guys. It's getting dark outside faster and I'm ready to cuddle with someone and have them go down on me, you know, and hold me. So I really would like that, especially because my teeth stuff have not been easy. I mean, I feel self-conscious about it. You guys can't tell, but I feel that I speak a little, talk a little weird. It's I struggle to talk sometimes, but uh, it's okay because I'm trying to look at the positive side of it, that it's going to get better in a few months and I'll be going back to normal with my speech and all that. And you guys have been supportive enough to show, tell me that you can't tell the difference. And also, I'm so excited for October. Because it's going to be about cults and the people I'm interviewing. Well, one of the people I'm interviewing, you guys, um, actually, we're going to have to hide that person's identity and change their voice and no video. I'm scared, but yeah, I'm excited. So anyway, that's a quick little update. Oh, shit. You guys, I forgot to tell you. So I've been watching House of the Dragon. And I'm a big fan of Matt Smith in the show. And as a joke, I started saying, like, wouldn't it be funny if I was, like, dating Matt Smith? (laughs) And then I posted on my Instagram story on Daddy Issues that, like, does anyone know Matt Smith? I want to date him. And then last night I get a text from this guy who I know. And he's like, hey, my buddy is his agent. 
do you want me to get you guys together? And I was just like, you're joking. So honestly, manifesting works. I do think he has a girlfriend, but still the fact that that happened, because I was just thinking about it. And then someone reached out and was like, my buddy is his agent. Let me ask him. Stay tuned. And I was just like, wow. So maybe I will not be lonely for long. And maybe Matt Smith will be going down on me real soon. And if he is, I'll probably pretend like it's not happening because he seems like really secretive about things. So if you see me suddenly keeping my mouth shut about Matt Smith and about men in general, just know that I'm fucking Matt Smith, okay? <laughs> and obviously then I will have to go back and delete this intro of the episode so I don't seem like a crazy fan and I'm like a cool girl. And I'm like, wait, you're in House of the Dragon? I didn't even realize. And he'd be like, yeah, I'm an actor. I'd be like, no way, you are? Oh, cool. I don't think I've ever seen any of your stuff. You know, like I got to play like real cool and chill. So then he's going to like, you know, got to humble him a little bit. So then it feels like we're on the same level to date. I mean, which we are because obviously I'm hot stuff. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I hope uh, I made you giggle and I hope you have an amazing day and I hope you enjoy this episode with Amy and also quick fun news. But guess what? If you are in Los Angeles, in October, the end of October, I'm doing my second show ever at the Hollywood Improv, October 24th. And I'll be putting my ticket sale in the description, uh, in the bio of this episode. So you can get your tickets. They're like $20 They're cheap. And it'll be half stand-up and half podcast. So you better come see me October 24th. You heard it first. Okay, have fun with the Amy episode. Love ya. Hi besties and welcome back to Almost Adulting with me, your host Violet Benson. So today I'm joined by licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Marine. Amy is responsible for one of the most popular TED Talks of all times, one of my favorites, The Secret of Becoming Mentally Strong, garnering over 21 million views on YouTube. Amy speaks on the importance of creating good habits and eliminating the poor mental habits that are holding you back. Amy, I'm honored to have you on, so welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I actually use what you've said before about changing your bad habits into good habits and basically the rule of three, you know, the habit of blaming everything on everyone else, blaming everything on the universe and so on. So I'm really excited to have you on. Thank you. I'm glad that you find that helpful to get rid of our bad habits. It's, people always ask me, why do you talk about what not to do? But it just takes one or two bad habits to be counterproductive and then all your good habits don't work out so well. So that's why I focus on saying, let's figure out what your worst habit is and get rid of that first. Yeah, I actually, speaking of that, I've read a few different things. I think somewhere someone else said that it takes like seven days or eight days to create a good habit from bad habit. But then I read somewhere else, it says it takes about 66 days to create a habit for it to become automatic. And someone else said it takes 21 days to create a good habit. So how long do you think it actually takes to break or ruin a good habit? Yeah, there are a lot of different studies and different opinions on exactly how many days it takes. And I think the 21 day one was based on uh, a study that they did maybe about smoking, like when people decrease their cravings. And yet it got expanded to then everybody saying it takes 21 days to change a habit. And then somebody else said 28 days. And then even like rehab centers are often 28 days in length because somebody bought into this notion that if you give up something for 28 days on day 29, it won't be a problem anymore. But we know that's not true. If you try to change a huge thing in your life, like giving up sweets or you give up smoking or something that you're struggling with, 
on day 38, you are probably still going to crave that thing and still reach for it. So it all depends. And if you're introducing a small change in your life, like, okay, I'm not going to check my phone in bed, it depends on how you set your life up. If I sleep with my phone in the other room, I'm going to give that habit up really quickly. But if I keep my phone next to my head while I sleep, I'm probably still going to check it just out of habit, even if I tell myself not to. So it depends on a lot of factors, what the habit is we're giving up, how long we've we've been doing that thing, and how we set our lives up. If you are surrounded by temptations all day long, doesn't matter how many days you've not given in, it's still going to be just as tempting on day 65 as it is on day six if you're surrounded by those unhealthy things. So then exactly... How many days do you think overall it takes to then break a habit or create a habit? Or you're just saying it doesn't matter, just up to you? It depends. It depends on the habit, whether you're adding something, subtracting something. I don't think there's an average. I think if we looked at how long it takes people to give up smoking, you're going to get a certain number on average, but there's going to be outliers on both ends. But if we say, how long does it take to adopt a new habit, like working out every day? Again, it depends. Some people find they enjoy working out, and by day 15, it's pretty easy. Other people are like, I've been doing this for three years, but I can't consistently do it. So all depends on your personality, the environmental factors in your life, and what that habit is. Do you ever think it's also in your head? Because, for example, when I believed that it took seven to eight days to create a new habit, I then started to create a new habit where I was making my bed every morning right when I woke up. And I felt like making my bed made me more organized and kind of start my day off better. So when I told myself it only takes seven days to create a good habit, after that, it trickles with more good habits. I believed it. So then I made my bed for seven days. I was like, okay, that's it. Now I'm just used to it. And then I was creating other good habits until one day, I was feeling all sad and I stopped making my bed and then I just couldn't do it again. But I told myself that's what the case and then I continued it. If someone told me it takes 28 days to create a good habit, I've been like, F this, it's way too long. I don't feel like doing it. Yeah, definitely. Our beliefs about how hard or how difficult something's going to be when people come to my therapy office and they say, well, I'm here because my doctor told me I had to try therapy before I can take medication. But I know therapy is not going to work. Yeah, you're right. It's not going to work. If you come in 100% convinced something's not going to work or something's not going to get better, then it's not going to. But on the other end of the spectrum, you know, because self-doubt plays a huge role in that. But on the other end of the spectrum, overconfidence is bad, too. When somebody says like, oh, that test is going to be easy. I don't need to study. Well, then you aren't prepared for the reality of the situation. So it's okay to have a little self-doubt and you want to have a little confidence, but you don't want to be on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I did that one time at university. I was just, I didn't study and I'm like, you know what? I got God on my end. I'm going to do a little prayer. Everyone else was studying before class. And I said, I don't need that. I'll just pray. I failed the test, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> like it did not work. I should have studied. <laughs> right. But I think a lot of people have that sort of an attitude of, oh, this will be easy. I don't have to worry about it. And then we don't put in the effort. And then we are like, oh, I'm ill-equipped and unprepared for what I'm facing. So... Speaking of the good habits, when I created my good habit of making my bed and then everything trickled with more good habits afterwards, and then one day I didn't make my bed and I just gave up automatically, or I've done that before with working out as well, can you kind of speak on the importance of giving ourselves grace when we fall out of a a good habit that created ourselves? Yeah, so we all make mistakes, we all mess up, but the way that we respond to those mistakes is huge. So sometimes people are like, well... I've made my bed for six days in a row and then I messed up on day seven. So therefore, there's no sense in doing it again. And they just give up altogether. For some people, certain strategies work. So some people are like, no, I have to count my days of sobriety. So if I have 372 days, that's great. But then if I mess up, I'm starting over on day one. 
That works for some people, but it doesn't work for everybody. My personality, that would not work for, because I'd be like, well, if I mess up once, I'm starting over. Heck no. I'm going to count how much better I'm doing. So let's say I decided to cut down on the number of drinks I have. If I have 10 one week and six the next week, I'm not going to consider that a failure because I didn't have zero. I'm going to consider that progress because I had fewer. But a lot of people come into my therapy office and they'll say like, I'm all the way back at, at step one. And I have to remind them, no, you took 10 steps. You just took one step back. You're still nine steps ahead of where you were six months ago. It's just a matter of moving forward and knowing that that's Part of the part of the process, but so often we think one mistake or one mess up is proof that we're not good enough and proof that we can't succeed. And then when we start talking to ourselves and all of those thoughts run into our heads about, "See, told you you shouldn't have tried," or "You're not good enough," we talk ourselves out of trying again. Yeah, I think I definitely get into those habits, especially uh, when it comes either to my work or even with dating. If I feel like I'm really progressing, and then suddenly something happens, or I'm going through a breakup, and then uh, I feel my behavior digresses, and I kind of bring back some behaviors that I don't like about myself. Suddenly, I'm like, either go full force for being incredibly unlikable during the break. I'm like, fuck this. I'll just be as bad as I can, or I'm just feeling sorry for myself. So where do you think the line is between giving yourself grace to go backwards a bit and and understanding that you're healing versus just feeling sorry for yourself? Oh, that's a good question. So one thing we often do is we shame ourselves when we mess up. Instead of thinking I made a bad choice, we think I'm a bad person. And that's a huge difference. When you start to shame yourself, that's when you'll fall into that self-pity trap of, see, I knew I couldn't do it, or I had no business even trying, or I'm not the kind of person who can do X, Y, or Z. Versus when we mess up and we think, okay, this is a learning experience. How do I learn? How do I grow? What's the lesson here? And how do I do better next time? And it's normal to be sad, to be disappointed, to be angry. All of those emotions are completely healthy and can help you work through a mistake that you made. But when you start exaggerating how awful things are, like my my life is worse than everybody else's or everybody else gets a, a easy break in life or pe other people are luckier than I am, that's when you talk yourself into that self-pity trap of convincing yourself there's no use trying again. Do you have any thoughts on the steps you can take to get out of that rub? Because I know that once, once you sink in, it is really hard to kind of get out of it, like to take that first step. You know, maybe life, maybe my day will be better today. If you're already thinking, you know what? I woke up and today sucks. Right. <laughs> right. And we try to talk yourself out of it. It seems kind of fake. So a couple things you can do. One is just to act contrary to how you believe. One of the stories I tell in my first book is... My mother had passed away. My husband had passed away. My life was sort of like at the bottom of the barrel. And I was supposed to be a therapist helping other people. And when we approached what would have been my husband's birthday, the first birthday after he passed away, when he would have turned 27, I was like, I can't go to work, but I don't want to sit at home either because I knew I'd just sit at home and think about how sad and pathetic my life was. So I talked to my mother-in-law and we decided to go skydiving. We're like, let's just like take back this day and do something crazy and have an adventure and say, you know, like, I'm, I'm sorry that my husband's not here, but I'm glad that I had him in my life for as long as I did. And he was this sort of adventurous guy. So it felt like we were honoring him. And so now all these years later, we still go on some kind of adventure on his birthday just as a way to say, you know, let's let's figure out how do we not feel sorry for ourselves that day. And I find now it's a day that we look forward to. The whole family's gotten involved. We rode mules into the Grand Canyon and we took flying trapeze lessons and we try to say, let's let's do something kind of wild that day just for fun. And it was just one way to say, OK, yep, my life was difficult. I've had difficult things that have happened, but it's still up to me what I choose to do with my time. And so 
When we catch ourselves falling into self-pity, sometimes the best thing we can do is act contrary to how we feel. The last thing you want to do is get up off the couch, but get up and go do something. And you don't have to jump out of a plane, but go for a walk around the block. Get up and go do something. And when we're stuck in that self-pity trap, too, another thing that can help is to figure out what do you have to contribute to the world? I guarantee you have something good you can give. And you don't necessarily have to go volunteer at the soup kitchen on a random Sunday afternoon, but why don't you just get on social media and leave five positive comments to people that you appreciate? And it doesn't have to be people you know. Maybe there's a, an author, an expert, an influencer that you just really appreciate their stuff. When you start to put good out into the world, you'll think, yeah, okay, it's not about what the world has to give me, but maybe I have something to give other people. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery Starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I agree. I really like that. Recently, I was in a rut and I talked about it on my podcast as well when I was going through um, my surgery and procedure and they I had some complications and every day I was just bitter and angry about it until one day I had to kind of snap out of it because I'm like, you know what? I could be so much worse. Like I still have so many things to be thankful for and here I am wallowing in my sorrows when in reality, I, another day I'm alive, another day there's a roof over my head, there's food in my stomach, my parents are healthy and alive with me right now. Like I'm so lucky. My mom calls me every day to check in on me. I'm so lucky I have someone to check in on me, you know? Gratitude can be huge. Sometimes we do. We overlook all the things that we have right around us. The clean air to breathe and water to drink. And I'm just always reminded. I mean, I always tell people like, you don't really want to say, well, at least I'm better off than and fill in the blank because sometimes that's depressing too. But to just remember, I mean, you and I are talking over the internet. There's a plenty of people in the world who don't even have electricity. Like <laughs> we're not doing so badly these days. And just a reminder of like, gosh, there are so many things I have in my life that uh, I do have to be thankful for, even on my worst day. Yeah, I think we're so busy living in the future and in the past versus living in the present. Thank you for sharing that about the stuff that happened in your life. Obviously, I know about them because I watched the TED Talk, so I knew that about that. But this is kind of besides the questions that I was going to ask you. I just have one random question that I thought maybe you can help anyone else out there that's listening. You just talked about how during the anniversary of your partner passing, you decided to do something that would celebrate him with your mother-in-law. And I think for a lot of people, it's really hard to do something nice or quote-unquote happy or anything or enjoyment during a day where they lost someone so can you can you kind of walk me through your thoughts on how can someone be able to move on with their life or enjoy their life without feeling the guilt because you know sometimes people think that well if i'm too joyful i'm gonna forget about this person so i have to be constantly feeling bad and sad you know holding on to that definitely and i experienced all of that all of those things too the guilt of when you 
start to laugh at something or you have a happy day, you think, well, if I really love this person, I'd be miserable, so I should stay miserable. Or you wonder, like, if you smile, wait, does, do other people see that? Do they think I don't miss that person anymore? All of these thoughts come up, and that's part of the grieving process. And grief will cause you to feel as though you have lost your mind because you second-guess everything, you question things. It takes a long time for your brain to really process the fact that somebody's gone and they're not coming back and what your new life is going to look like without that person in it. So grief is a process by which we heal. It takes time, but it's not just time. Whoever said that time heals everything lied to us. Time doesn't heal everything. It's about the work that you do in that time. Our tendency when we feel sad is to go around the pain. We want to do anything we can to distract ourselves, to do anything we can to feel better. Jumping out of an airplane and doing those fun things wasn't just about like, oh, I'm going to mask my pain or pretend like I'm happy. It was more about saying on his birthday every year, let's just celebrate. Let's just do something fun. But I wouldn't recommend anybody do that right away. When you've lost somebody, let yourself be sad. Let yourself be angry. Let yourself feel whatever it is you feel. Sometimes people are like, well, this person was sick for a long time. And when I lost them, I felt a a little bit of relief. That's okay. But then people feel guilty about that. And as somebody, I was 26 when I was widowed. And I remember people being like, yeah, you'll probably get married again. And I wanted to punch them in the face because I thought, why would you say that? <laughs> and I did. Eventually I got married. It took years before I got to a place where I even wanted to consider going on a date. But you know, I had to work through the guilt of that. Like, can I get remarried? And so I think the one of the weird things is, is grief is something we're all going to experience at one time or another, yet nobody talks about it. And other people are really uncomfortable with our grief. So people around you will say things like uh, that are well-meaning and well-intentioned, but they're not kind at that moment, but they want to cheer you up because they're uncomfortable with you being sad. So one of the best things you can do is find other people who are also grieving, whether that means you go to a support group or you find a forum online, but talk to people who who know that you're sad and it's okay to be sad because your, your parents, your friends, people are just going to be like, we should go to the movies because they don't want you to sit at home and be sad. But sometimes that's exactly what you need to work through and honor your loss of somebody. And then when you talk to other people who really get it and understand it, then you start to say, okay, it's normal to have these guilty feelings, but it doesn't mean I can't go out and have fun and, and still laugh and do all of these things that I want to do to live my life. Yeah. So I think when anyone feels guilty about trying to move on with their life, they probably just have to understand that just because you're moving on with your life doesn't mean you're forgetting the memory. Because I think a lot of people hold on to pain and sadness because they think that if they move on, they will forget about that person versus you can still have your good and fun memories. You, you don't have to wallow in sadness in order to remember them. Yeah, we have this strange belief where it's sort of like if you love the person you'd be sad for x amount of months if you really love them you'd be sad for x amount of years and it's almost like uh like we feel like in order to show our love for somebody we have to then show them that we're mourning otherwise we feel like we aren't being faithful or loyal to that person but to know that yeah that you can go on and move forward and figure out how do you incorporate that person into your current life, whether you keep a picture of that person in your wallet, whether you talk about them. I think one of the best things for me was to just remember the life lessons that I learned from my first husband and think, okay, probably the best way to honor him is for me to live my life with some of those lessons I learned from him, things that ways that he changed my life and moving forward might be about just incorporating those life lessons into my new life. Even though he's not here, I still learned plenty of things from him. 
in one of your TED Talks, uh, you said that research found that envying your friends on social media can lead to depression, which sounds extreme, but I completely, I can see what you mean by that, and I agree. But if we think about all the times that we roll our eyes at a post or make a shady comment in our heads, it adds up. So can you talk about the depth of how this eats away at our mental strength, even if it makes us feel better in the moment to kind of hate on someone or gossip and things like that? Yeah, that's one of those things you think, oh, it's two seconds. I scrolled through social media and maybe my friend got a new car or one of my competitors uh, got a whole bunch of new followers, whatever it is. And then in those moments, we sometimes think, oh, that person doesn't deserve it. Or I hope something bad happens to them. Or why do they have this and I don't? I mean, you look at vacation photos or used to be back in the day with Facebook. They found that the number of Facebook birthday wishes is what caused other people to start to get depressed because if your friend just had a birthday and they got 200 people said happy birthday and you're like on my birthday 12 people said happy birthday it's because they're more popular than I am and then we come up with all these stories about I'm not good enough and I can't succeed and life's not fair so it's really the stories we tell ourselves about how other people are doing and we all know this we quickly lose sight of the fact that what somebody's posting on social media is probably not reflective of the big picture of their life but we forget that everybody looks happy, healthy, beautiful, all of these things. And when we start to surround ourselves with just those social media images and then we're not really connecting with people face to face, it really puts us at a especially high risk of getting depression because we think everybody else is happy, healthy. They're going on exotic trips all the time and they love their lives more than I love mine. And then rather than focusing on how do I make my life better, we just start thinking about other people like it's not fair that she gets to do this or it's not fair that he has that. A hundred percent. I One thing I think that's helped me if I scroll through social media and I see someone and I get a little envious of them or I think it's not fair this person has this, like they suck or whatever. Then I stop myself and I ask V, what exactly about this person are you envious of? Because you don't hate them. You're jealous of something. What is it? And then I tell myself what it is. Maybe they have more followers than me or their, their new job. But then I'm like, okay, how do I achieve that? Let's work through that. So then I'm like, okay, it's a goal that I actually want. So let's work towards that goal versus just sitting there and hating them. Because if I'm just sitting there and hate on someone or their success or whatever, it's in a weird way. I'm telling the universe and myself that I can't achieve that. Yeah, that's why I'm hating on them. So instead, I have to say, okay, it's a goal that if they can achieve, I can too. So good for them. Now let's figure out how I can do it. And that kind of helps me. That is a wonderful piece of advice. That's something I talk about in my women's book, because we know that for some reason, women tend to do this even more than men. When they've done research on this, they found that if we look at a beautiful woman, we're more likely to think I could never be like that. But if this if a guy looks at this Id- idyllic looking man's physique, he's more likely to think oh, I could totally do that if I just went to the gym more often. And one of the things we know is the way that affects our mental health is that little switch, just like you just said, instead of looking at somebody as better than you, is instead if you thought, this person has something I could learn from. And and rather than looking at people as a competitor, you just look at them as an opinion holder. They have knowledge, skills, something in their life that I could learn from. And if I do want to learn, then maybe I want to figure out how they did it and how could I achieve some of the same things in my life rather than assuming that person's better and I'll never be like that. Right. In your TED Talk, you said there are three kinds of destructive beliefs that I kind of briefly mentioned that make us less effective and rob us of our mental strength. So can you tell me what those three things are? Sure. So it's the beliefs about ourselves, other people, and the world in general. So the beliefs about ourselves are really when you think, I'm not good enough. I'm not the kind of person who can 
live that kind of life. I'm not the kind of person who can have a successful career or, or a great family. When you have those beliefs, guarantee you have some bad habits that will keep you stuck. And then the beliefs about other people. When you think oh, other people are always out to get me, other people will put you down, you can't trust anybody these days, those kinds of beliefs will certainly going to affect your relationships, how you interact with people, and how you get through everyday life. And then the last one, the beliefs about the world. If you think the world is an awful place, it's a terrible, scary place, it's only getting worse, those lead to some pretty unhealthy habits too. So that's where the 13 things mentally strong people don't do come from is really you can divide up those 13 things into those three unhealthy beliefs. And under each belief, there's certain unhealthy habits that we'll engage in that will keep us stuck. It's hard, especially if you're if you work with someone who's very negative. If you live, I grew up with my my father. He's more of glass half empty type of person, and that's how my sister kind of who she is as a person. And I, because of that, I turned to be a very overly positive person, which is also can a lot of ways can sometimes be toxic. Like everything can be on fire, and I'm like, you know what? At least we're warm. But it is true because when you have a negative notion of the universe, everything's bad, then you're going to find a lot of bad things, right? I think that's one thing that people don't realize. If I think everything sucks, that I'm going to notice things that maybe I wouldn't have noticed before, like uh, like a flat tire is going to lead to me also realizing, oh, of course I forgot my lipstick today. What else can go wrong? Ah, oh, I chipped my nail because I was like angry when I opened the door. So then just like it, it, it trickles in. Yeah. And, you know, you can tell a lot about a person when if you say to them, hey, how was your day today? Did they pick out the one bad thing that happened and describe that in great detail? Or do they tell you like the one good thing or the eight good things that happened in that day? It's all about your view of the world and how you see yourself in it and thinking, okay, well, yeah, I got a flat tire on the way to work. But then listen to what else happened during the day today, whatever that story might be. But again, it goes back to the stories we tell ourselves about what kind of a day we had, what kind of a life we have. And if you believe the world is an awful place, your story will definitely reinforce that belief. So let's talk about unhealthy beliefs about ourselves first. So you said that it is okay to be sad when something bad happens. That's another thing I think people get mixed up when if anyone talks about positive things in general, they think, oh, does that mean I can't be sad or does that mean I can never feel low, which is not the case. But when you get overly sad and we begin to magnify it, like we were just saying, then everything just sucks. Why does the human brain do that? And what are some practices we can do to actively fight that? So sometimes we grow up just feeling like we're somehow less than or we're not good enough. And all of us have certain insecurities, but it's tempting to take those insecurities that we grew up learning and, and into our adulthood. So it could be something like somebody was in the fourth grade and their parents got divorced and they always sort of blamed themselves for thinking, oh, I wasn't a good enough kid to keep my parents together. So then when they're 30 years old, they're at work still thinking, oh, not a good enough person to make my company do well. And it shows up in some fairly subtle ways sometimes, but we all have those certain things. Sometimes it just takes something to activate it. Somebody might be like, oh, I'm doing all right in life, but then they get rejected by someone. And suddenly that rejection brings up all those old fears and memories and insecurities from when they were a kid. And they think, oh, here we go again. I'm not good enough. So it's important to take a look at what our underlying beliefs are, how they play out in our everyday life, and then challenge them. You usually can't talk yourself into, all right, you're a good enough person if you really deeply believe that you aren't. And while it can be helpful to do affirmations and have a little mantra and you look at yourself in the mirror and you find good things to say, all of those things can help, but they aren't going to necessarily 
chip away enough at that underlying belief. So if you're somebody who says, I, I just can't succeed, I want you to go out there and keep trying until you succeed at something. Sort of like when you prove your brain wrong, then you're like, oh, okay, there's an exception to the rule. Maybe I'm successful 32% of the time. Okay, well, that doesn't mean I'm never successful, yet your brain will tell you those things. So just going out there and experimenting and saying, how do I challenge these unhealthy beliefs about myself by getting out there and doing something can be really helpful. Yeah, right. Because the research shows that your brain will always try to prove whatever you tell yourself, meaning if you keep telling yourself, nobody loves me, I'm incredibly unlovable, then your brain will then try to prove that to you by going even back in your memories. And suddenly memories that used to be peaceful and fun at one point, suddenly you look back and you're like, wait, actually, that person looked at me weird. They didn't love me. I knew yes. it. I was right. So that's the scary part. We don't realize our brains and bodies really listen to our mental state. So our brains will try to prove something to be correct so that's why it's so important and scary how you talk to yourself it is and the subtle things that we do so there's research that shows if you have low self-esteem you'll surround yourself with people who put you down because they reinforce those beliefs so if you think i'm stupid i'm i'm not smart enough i'm not good enough you'll find friends that will reinforce those beliefs by putting you down and it feels comfortable because what they're saying about you coincides with the thoughts running through your head. If you have really low self-esteem and you start hanging out with somebody that says, you're amazing, I think you're a wonderful person, those two things don't line up because you don't see yourself that way and it feels really uncomfortable. So strangely, it would feel more comfortable to hang out with somebody who puts you down. Right. So for example, if you grew up with one of your parents constantly needing to chase their love, you're going to feel more safe and comfortable being with a partner that you're constantly having to prove your love to them. You have to work yep. for your love. So you're not going to understand when someone just gives you their love easily. It's going to feel weird and wrong and uncomfortable versus being like, no, this is the healthy way. Exactly. You don't have to work to get loved. Yeah, I worked through that. <laughs> Uh, okay, um, so next you mentioned unhealthy beliefs about others. So you use the analogy about the mean mother-in-law in your TED talk and how she may not be the nicest person, but it's your choice how you choose to respond to her. So at what point does one draw the line? Is there ever a point where one can feel super disrespected and then it's okay to finally throw that out the window and stick up for yourself? Or is it more how you approach everything? Yeah, so our language is powerful and sometimes we blame other people like, and the example I gave in my TEDx talk is about how you might say your mother-in-law drives you crazy or she makes you feel bad about yourself. Well, nobody drives you crazy and nobody makes you feel bad about yourself. It's up to you how you respond to people. And we can set limits. I think sometimes we'll see like you Instagram memes about just cut out all the toxic people in your life. Well, that sounds good on the surface, but it's not really practical to say I'm going to cut out my coworker because then I'd have to quit my job or I'm going to cut out my partner's family altogether because that might hurt your relationship with your partner. So sometimes you have to figure out how do I get along with people and and it's not that other people are all toxic or they're not. There might just be parts of them that rub you the wrong way and bring out parts of you that aren't aren't your most shining moment too. But that doesn't mean they're a bad person. It just means for whatever reason this person brings that part of you out. So it's really about figuring out how do you set boundaries, how do you set healthy limits. Uh, one thing is people will often set physical boundaries like I'm not going to hang out with that person anymore. But then they spend like all day thinking about how much they dislike that person or how many times has somebody been like, I'm going to block that person on Instagram. And then they end up just opening a fake account and creeping on that person all the time. And you're like, right, like I'm going to cut this person out of my life or at least pretend to on the surface. But then I'm going to allow them to take up all of this room in my head or all of this time in my life. And 
you know, people will come into my therapy office and tell me about that. Like, I, I always checking out what my ex is doing, like, you know, 13 times a day, I'm checking out their social media accounts, and they won't talk to me. But I just want to know what are they doing? Who are they with? And they're allowing uh, these people to take up huge amounts of their time and huge amounts of their mental energy. So sometimes it's important to just take stock of where does your time and mental energy go? Is it really going toward the positive, healthy people in your life? Or are you giving away a lot of power to people that maybe you don't want to give away your power to? So physical boundaries are one thing where maybe you don't talk to somebody on the phone or you might say, I'm not answering the phone after 10 p.m. or you can't come over without calling first. Those can all be healthy boundaries, but you also have to set boundaries for yourself. Like, I'm not going to look up that person's Instagram account today, or I'm not going to spend three hours dreading that meeting with my boss because that would take up three more hours of my life. I'm just going to say, okay, I'm going to move on with it. So just take real, take good stock of your time and your mental energy. Where is, where is it going and set boundaries with yourself on what you're willing and not willing to do? Yeah, I agree with that. And I think also probably look within, because I think a lot of times now people, there's different definitions to everything. A lot of people label everything toxic. Everything I don't agree with is toxic and right. bad. But sometimes it's, well, why is this making me feel like this? It, it's, a lot of times people think, well, you make me feel like shit. You make me feel, okay, wait, I'm choosing to allow you to make me feel like this. Why am I allowing this person to take so much space uh, in, in my life? That's, I think, a question that a lot of times people should probably ask themselves. Absolutely. And that and that reframe right there, instead of saying, oh, you make me feel bad because you never show up or you never fall through with your promises. So you drive me crazy. Just reframing that like, oh, then why would I allow this person to continue to mistreat me? Or what are my options? Or what can I do when this person says something that hurts my feelings? I can speak up. That's my choice. I can choose to limit my contact. I mean, you always have choices and just remembering what are your choices and when do you need to set boundaries? And when you start to get resentful of people and you start to feel like you're taken advantage of, those are sure signs that you you need healthier boundaries in your life. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, 100%. It is always really harder to put the mirror in front of yourself versus it's much easier to be like, well, everyone else has a problem versus being like, oh, it's me and my boundaries. Right, exactly. But so that's the, the beliefs of others when it's resentment, things like that. But what about the beliefs of others when it feels like everyone has it better than you? Kind of that quote of comparison is a thief of joy. Yeah. One thing is really about our connection with other people. When we get caught up into thinking other people are doing amazing and we're not, we often then think it's our job to impress people. And so even talking to your friends, you're like, oh, yeah, well, this is what I have going on. And you don't really start to talk about your struggles because we think, oh, this person is I can't tell them that I'm having trouble paying my bills this month or I can't tell this person that uh, I'm having this family conflict because they might judge me. 
but you know, then life gets really lonely. And when life gets lonely, it, we then often feel the need to, to impress people even more because we think it will attract people to us. But that entire belief system is wrong. If you really want to connect with people, you talk about your struggles and you be honest with them about, you know, I'm going through this or I have this thing going on in my life right now. And you'll likely find that other people are like, oh, I really like this person because they're willing to tell me that they're not perfect. And then they're willing to share with you that they're not perfect. And it opens up this pathway where you can then have a genuine human connection and you can be authentic with each other. It's tough to do if you've always gotten into the habit of looking your best when you meet up with your friends and telling them all the good stuff about your life. It's harder than say, actually, I'm battling depression right now. But it could be one of the most profound things that you do is to open up and be honest about your struggles. Yeah, I think I can definitely relate to that. Like last week, I was having dinner with three of my friends and they asked me how I was doing. And I said, yeah, this happened. But, you know, it's fine. It's whatever. It's not a big deal. I'm over it. Blah, blah. And one of my friends looked at me and she was like, Violet, it's OK if you're not doing OK. And I was like, OK, well, I guess I'm not doing that OK. She's like, yeah, we're your friends. Be honest with us. This isn't you're not on TV right now. You don't have to lie. And suddenly I was just like, yeah, I'm so upset. <laughs> so crying. <laughs> But it made me feel better and it was so nice to be vulnerable. I was like, right, why? who am I pretending to be someone else for? These are my friends. They're supposed to, you know, be accept me for who I am. Why am I faking it? For who? And it does make me feel then lonely when I just pretend to be always okay. Right. And I'm so glad your friend picked up on that and was willing to ask you that question because for whatever reason, I feel like we all get caught up in that idea someday that we have this mask your friend says hey this is going on in my life it's great and you're all oh yeah well this is what's going on in my life it's great too and you just forget like actually we're all going through stuff and if you can't tell your friends your closest family members about your real life struggles then who can you talk to but it's really important to be able to have some people that you can confide in about the struggles that you have yeah i love that okay so the last one that you had was regarding unhealthy beliefs about the world and how we feel as though we automatically deserve success by simply existing but i love that you also talked about how we have to accept the fact that life is not fair because a lot of times you just have to be like yeah life is not fair it is what it is and i think he can definitely be liberating but i do have a few questions about that statement like for example how can someone begin to wrap their heads around the fact that since life isn't fair then that in itself is liberating to just admit that to yourself what what does that even like really mean so some people really think that they should get back what they put in. So if I'm nice to four people, then four people need to be nice to me. Or I'm going to get it back tenfold. So if I go out there and be a good person, then I'm never going to get a health condition like cancer because I don't deserve it. Or if I eat a healthy diet, that guarantees that I'll always stay healthy. And I hear from a lot of people, too, who will talk about the hard work that they put in. And like, uh, I worked really hard to get this degree, and now I deserve to get a good job. Well, I know that's kind of what they sold you. And that's one of the things we're talking about these days is people think that. But like if people got paid based on their hard work, trust me, none of us in America would be making that much money. Like there's a mom in Africa who walks four miles every day to get a bucket of clean water before she can even start her day because she needs her family to be able to have some clean water to drink. That person works me under the table all day long and they don't earn as much money as I do. I guarantee it life isn't fair bad things happen and just accepting that and i don't want us to all walk around thinking that everything is up to chance that's the other end of the spectrum just thinking well no sense in working hard because i might get hit by a bus tomorrow and thinking that you know bad things are going to happen at any moment and there's nothing we can do about it there's sort of this middle ground and we call it locus of control when people have a completely external locus of control they think everything's up to chance destiny and things are just going to happen to you based on the way they're supposed to be. 
On the other end of the spectrum is a complete internal sense of control where people think I have 100% control over everything in my life from my health to my success to how much money I earn. And if I fail at something, it's 100% my fault all the time. The healthier place is to be somewhere in the middle. Yes, bad things can happen. Sometimes it's bad luck. You're in the wrong place at the wrong time. But you do have the power to make a lot of good things happen in your life. The effort you put in, the attitude that you have is going to make a huge difference. It's not just that life is going to happen to you regardless of whether you sit on your couch or you get out there and make things happen. It's that you have certain powers in your life to make good things happen. So then what do you say to the people that they're like, okay, yeah, life is not fair, but what does it feel like some people out there just have it so much easier than everyone else? Like some people out there, everything they do the first time, it looks like they always succeed. And here I am trying 75 times. Yeah, maybe, maybe I have to work harder, but like, why is it not working out for me? And for them, they're just so lucky. A couple of things about that. Certainly some people do have a much more charmed life than the rest of us. And for whatever reason, good things have come their way. But that doesn't mean that you're doomed to keep having bad luck. If you had bad luck for 30 years, it doesn't mean the next 30 years of your life are going to be completely bad luck either. I don't know. You might win the lottery tomorrow. But and I think when we look at success stories, we often hear the end of the story. We don't hear how many times somebody tried, how many things they did that didn't work. Right. When we talk about famous inventors, for example, Edison's first invention was not the light bulb. He invented a million other things that didn't work. We only heard about this successful one. Or people knew I wrote a viral article and that's how I got a book deal. And so then people are like, how do I write a viral article? Or I've been writing articles for, for four years. Well, yeah, I've been writing articles for 10 years too. And now none of them ever went viral, but you don't hear about those articles. You know why? Because not that many people read them. <laughs> but I think all of us have those experiences where you just hear the end of somebody else's story and you forget that it took a while to get there. The athletes that we see on TV didn't just become athletes yesterday. They've been working hard their entire lives to get there. And people that uh, do really successful things, a lot of them worked really hard. Yeah, there are those outliers, somebody that somehow managed to be in the right place at the right time, had the right skill set in the right moment, and they ended up with a huge break, maybe one that you think they don't deserve, but that's okay too. Yeah, that's life. <laughs> yep. But I, I do also like what you said a second ago about how people just assume if they go around being nice to other people or giving, then they get upset if they don't get it back in return. I always tell them like, well, don't do something expecting something in return. Do it because you want to do it. Because then once you're just counting all the favors, it's going to really backfire on you. That's the thing. Like if you're going to do something, consider it a gift, not a loan. Like you're not loaning the good stuff you have to, to the world in hopes that they're going to then loan it back to you. It's really about saying, well, what am I going to give? If you want to help somebody across the street or you want to go to the volunteer, or you want to do something kind for somebody, a random act of kindness, but yet you're then adding up, okay, I did these four things today. So four great things need to happen to me. I guarantee you're going to be disappointed every single time. Speaking of that and also experiencing the major loss and trauma that you've spoke about going through in your life, can you talk about how you had the mental fortitude to practice these positive mental habits when you feel like the world is crushing you? Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why I talk about what not to do. When I was at my lowest point in life, so my mom died, my husband died, and then I just got news my father-in-law was prognosis was terminal. He told us he had a couple of months to live. And like the last thing I wanted was a really long list of now things I had to do because I thought it's really tough to say, okay, Amy, now you should practice gratitude and now you should uh, get up there and go for a walk for 30 minutes. And I just thought oh, right now I just need to know what not to do. And if I don't do these certain things, I'll be okay. Because sometimes I think that's the simplest place to start. 
Other times, though, you just pick one thing. Like, I remember walking, going for a walk around the block. Like, okay, it's small, but yet helped me feel a lot better. Or I'm just going to pick one little thing to do today. Everything you do is a choice. Whether you sit on the couch and you don't talk to anybody and you isolate yourself or you say, all right, I don't feel like making this phone call, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to reach out to one person today. Set really small goals that feel doable in that moment and know that something that might feel really hard to you might be really easy for somebody else, but that's okay. For some people making a phone call, it takes them three days to work up the courage to make a phone call. For somebody else though, leaving the house is scary, but they can make a phone call. Just whatever it is, just pick something that's just a little bit uncomfortable and challenge yourself to do it every day. And then when you reach that challenge, then you feel a little bit better, like you've accomplished something. And your example, Violet, in the beginning, we talked about making your bed. Some days we're going to chalk that up to a win. Like, okay, I got up and I made the bed today. And if you make the bed, it often has a snowball effect though, right? You think, okay, I made the bed today. I can also do the dishes and I can make these two phone calls and I can run this errand that I wanted to do because we feel a little bit better with every little step that we take. Yeah, I think that's why it's so important to celebrate your little victories because it doesn't matter how little they are to quote unquote to someone else, to you is a big deal to finally get out of bed today, to finally make that call to someone, to finally shower, to finally make your bed and so on. Exactly. All of those little things add up. And sometimes I think we set the bar too high. We have a to-do list that's 14 pages long or we think I have to change my life today. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, okay, here we go. I'm doing everything completely differently than I've ever done the other however many years I've been alive, doesn't happen that way. But if you make these small incremental changes, then you can hold on to them and and stick with them. And so for me, getting through painful experiences was just the same thing, just finding little little things I could do every day, knowing, okay, it's up to me how I cope with these uncomfortable emotions and setting myself up for success. It was tempting to reach for unhealthy things, but if I surrounded myself with healthier options, it was easier to reach for those. Do you believe in toxic positivity? Do you think that's a real thing? Or do you think that's something that a lot of people who are just super negative and or upset with our lives, we just get sick of other people being overly positive? I definitely think toxic positivity is a problem. And we've all been on the receiving end of it when you're like, oh, I have this interview tomorrow and I'm kind of nervous. And somebody says, just think positive, you'll do fine. You're like, no, I'm actually really nervous right now, but thanks for minimizing how I felt. And same goes back to what we talked about earlier. If you have a test next Friday and you are like, oh, I'm going to ace it and I'm just being positive about it. Well, then you might not study. And then guess what? Your toxic positivity just backfired. So overconfidence is a huge problem. We don't talk about that much because people are like, I'm going to crush this. Failure's not an option. And then you're unprepared. But also when it comes to other people's toxic positivity, they often minimize our feelings. And there's research that shows they feel better. So if you go to somebody and you're like, I'm really struggling with this, or I'm really worried about this thing I have coming up, and they're all, you'll do great. Just don't worry about it. Number one, that does not make your worry go away. Instead, it makes you feel like maybe I'm crazy for being worried about this or other people don't understand and you feel worse. But the person who just gave you that hopeful message, studies show their mood gets better because they're like, oh, I just did a kind act today by spreading my positivity. It doesn't help. And so our, it's much better if somebody's struggling, acknowledge their feelings. Gosh, I see you're really worried about this or that must be really hard or what do you think you might do about this? Don't offer them your advice on, oh, you just have to show up 10 minutes early and look people in the eye. Well, thank you, but that's not necessarily helpful. Instead, ask people, what do you think you're going to do? And then people feel like they're more empowered rather than we just minimize their feelings. So yes, I do think toxic positivity can be a big problem. A lot of times the way I respond to people's 
pain or happiness and so on is based on what I would want to hear. And a lot of times I've realized now I'm learning that love languages and all that are so different. And now sometimes, even with my sister, the way we communicate, if she's upset and she calls me, we handle things differently. For me, I'll find a solution. If someone, if you're upset about something, I want to find a solution for you like this. My sister just wants to vent. It took me a while to figure out that she just wanted to vent. She didn't need me to find a solution. So now I kind of will say, okay, just really quick, what do you want from me? by talking to me about your pain do you just want me to listen do you want advice do you want me to find a solution is there kind of a way where you can figure out how to help someone (laughs) i think you got it right there is just to ask them what do you need from me in this conversation because sometimes somebody might come to you and they're like struggling with money well they're they trying to figure out how to ask you for a loan without asking are they looking for solutions like just get a part-time job or start this little side hustle uh, or do they just want you to know, oh, I'm having a bad day and I'm really struggling and this is an ongoing issue. And we've probably all had that person in our lives who comes to you and they complain about the same things over and over and over again. And maybe you've offered them 25 pieces of advice so they don't take any of it. Well, then you know, they're not looking to you to solve their problem. Maybe they do just want to vent. So I think you have it just right, Violet. Ask them, what do you need from me right now? And if somebody says, I just need somebody to listen to this, okay, then I'll do that. And if you have a piece of advice, sometimes it's helpful to ask. Say, you know, I have a few ideas of how I might handle this. Would it be helpful to hear that? Sometimes people will say, no, actually, right now, I don't want to know how you'd handle this because you can't possibly understand what it's like to be in my shoes. And that's okay. Yeah, I agree. I, I've had times when I'm frustrated with work and it takes me a while to even talk about that. And then I finally open up and talk about it. And then the first suggestion one of my friends will have, well, do you ever think about doing this and this for a business? I'll be like, bro, like, why did I even tell you? Like now it's making me right. feel worse. Like, yeah, of right. course I already thought about it. So I hate that. <laughs> um, <Yes>. what, <laughs> what are some signs that someone is on the right path towards building their mental strength? So, you know, mental strength is a funny thing because you can't see it. It's easy to tell when somebody goes to the gym and they're getting physically stronger, but mental strength is different. And sometimes we just judge people's behavior. So speaking of the gym, if you see somebody working out consistently in the gym, you might think, man, that person's mentally strong. I don't know if they are or not. And sometimes there's people who go to the gym because they hate themselves and they're there to punish themselves, not because they love themselves so much they want to work out. So it's really about the internal battles that you're fighting. And I don't know what sort of internal battles anybody's fighting based on their behavior. And I don't know what's difficult for somebody versus not. Some people can get on stage and talk to 10,000 people without batting an eyelash. Does that make them mentally stronger than the person who says, it was really hard to make a phone call today and it took me three days to work up my courage? I don't know what sort of emotional state somebody's in and the thoughts that run through their head. So we can assess our own mental strength. And I encourage people every day, just ask yourself, what's one thing I did today to grow mentally stronger? No matter whether you had a great day or a horrible day, you had plenty of opportunities to grow mentally stronger, which might be about saying, I was really mad at somebody, but I didn't lose my cool and say something I regret. Or maybe you say, you know, I was I made a mistake and I started to beat myself up, but then I caught it. And I started to speak to myself with kindness or I was really scared to do that thing today, but yet I pushed myself to get out there and do it anyway. So just knowing what are your goals? Because sometimes people will say, well, if I'm really tired and I go to the gym, is that a sign of mental strength? Or when I'm really tired and I say, no, I'm going to take a day off because I deserve self-care. Is that a sign of mental strength? All depends on who you are and what your goals are. And I'm, I'm not the person who's going to say what's mentally strong and what isn't, but you can assess yourself. Are you somebody who needs to push yourself more or somebody who needs to take a foot off the gas sometimes and give yourself uh, more grace? But knowing that about yourself and asking yourself that question, what did I do today to grow mentally stronger can help you assess that. 
So then I think then the part of it's knowing yourself. So then you less things break you. So then you give yourself the grace, whether you, let's say you didn't go off on someone like you usually would. I, to me, I believe, I think that's mental strength. Or you did go off on someone, but you caught yourself and now you're self-aware. That's mental strength. So I think all the above. Yeah, exactly. I think you, you got it exactly. You know, OK, well, where did I used to be? What did I used to do? What am I trying to improve on? How am I changing and what are my signs of progress? And. No matter what happens every day, there's a lot of things you can't control, but you can control whether you did something to grow mentally stronger. Yeah. So if you had one final piece of advice for a life tip that could benefit every single person listening, obviously they all have different life experiences, but no matter what their situation is, what do you think that one piece of advice would be? To not be afraid to prove your brain wrong because everybody's brain lies. And sometimes we think, well, I didn't think I could do that or I didn't think I was the kind of person who could do X, Y, or Z. Prove your brain wrong, and that will start to show your brain, okay, I underestimate you, but you can do do more. You're capable of doing more things than I've ever given you credit for. And over time, you can train your brain to see you as a more capable, competent person who's able to get out there and do some pretty amazing things. But until you challenge those thoughts, you'll probably keep believing them. I love that. Okay, so where can people find you? On my website is amymorinlcsw.com. And I'm the host of the Very Well Mind podcast, which is verywellmind.com slash podcast. We do two episodes a week. We interview somebody on Monday and on Fridays, I do a quick episode about a strategy from my therapy office. Okay, I love that. So I'll definitely put that in the description. You guys can also find her on Instagram. Is there anything you feel like I didn't ask? Anything you wanted to add? No, I guess those are all great things. If I had to add one more thing, it would be that there's a difference between mental strength and mental health. Because a lot of people come to me and say, I wish I could be mentally strong, but I have depression. Some of the strongest people I ever met were battling depression and anxiety. And it's just like physical health and physical strength. You can go to the gym, build big muscles. Doesn't mean you won't ever get a health problem like high cholesterol or cancer someday, heaven forbid. But Mental strength's the same. You can build a lot of mental strength. It can prevent some mental health issues, but having a mental health problem doesn't mean that you aren't mentally strong enough. That's beautiful. I actually really love that we're closing the note on that because that's good to know that that means if I'm even going through depression, I've gone through depression in the past and so on, doesn't mean that I'm mentally weak because we do all connect that with weakness. If I'm crying, oh, I must be weak, but I can still be mentally strong and have a bad day. Exactly. And so I, I don't like it when people think, oh, I just... I'm not mentally strong enough because I have an anxiety disorder or something like that. That is not true at all. As a therapist, I can say the strongest people I've met were often battling those things, but it was all about the choices they kept making every day despite those struggles that they had. So then can you also be mentally strong, but not strong in your mental health? Yeah, yeah. Like poor mental health, you can still probably be quite mentally strong. So your mental health might be suffering, but you say, you know... Maybe you're depressed and you haven't gotten out of bed in, in two weeks, but you're like, I'm still going to try to go to therapy. I'm going to try to take medication. I'm going to try to get up and go for a walk around the block. It's your willingness to push yourself in those moments and say, I'm really struggling. Or maybe the only thing you can do is say, I'm going to call somebody and tell them I need some help. All those little things. Asking for help is definitely a sign of strength as well. And it's hard to do when your mental health is suffering harder than ever. 
But I think that's a great way to change your perception, a great way to think. To be honest, I feel like for me and anyone listening, I think that's the best thing Like to know now that that makes you mentally strong. If you're depressed and you kept thinking, well, I'm going to get out of bed, blah, blah. That means like, oh, I'm mentally strong. Like I'm not giving up. Like there will be a, be- a better, happier day tomorrow. It's possible. So I like that a lot. Thank you for adding that. You're welcome. Okay, well, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And you guys, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow her. All of her information is in the description of this episode. DM her if you have any questions. And hope you guys have a beautiful day. Ciao.